0: You look nothing like your picture, Scott.
1: I know. I was surprised, actually, because when I saw his Zoom yeah. photo, I'm like, oh, it looks... And then, and then when he turned on the camera <laughs> we were on an architecture workshop, I'm like, oh, it looks different.
0: You're like, woof, <laughs> what is this dude?
1: Jesus. I, I think his profile picture looks like FPS Russia. Have you ever gotten that, Scott?
2: No. Hello, my friends.
1: Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 18 of 2022. I'm Chris Louis, and happy to report no audio issues from last week's podcast. Happy Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and early Cinco de Mayo to everyone. With me, I have my co-host Brian Deech, who has no fear of swine flu and eating
0: skinless grilled chicken by the bucket load. I believe it was FDR that said, "The only thing to fear is fear itself," and then also realizing you left your phone on the plane. And. What, what's this IP address you put in the show notes here? You know, I was looking for that IP address earlier. <laughs> I must have pasted it into the wrong window. I'm like, why is it not working? That's funny. That's funny. That's my home yeah, IP address. I love address. copy paste there. Huh? That's so funny. I was, like, I, I was just on a call with you, man. I was like, why is this thing not pasting? There it I, is. I just left my phone in a taxi this weekend, so there's that. A taxi? What are you, a dinosaur? <laughs> Jesus. Don't you mean Uber <laughs> well, or
2: Car service, we were on Sanibel Island, and so they Uber doesn't operate over there.
1: Uh, and then, how do you call the service to let them know? Like, oh god,
2: I have hey, no phone. My, my wife had her phone, thankfully.
0: Did you run after the, the, the taxi?
2: Um, and so we had registered the car service like via text or whatever, so I was able to text them, and they're like, oh yeah, we have it. So, when we were using them to go back from where we came from. So uh, the another driver came and had the phone with them, so it was all good. Nice.
1: Nice. Happy ending. No Glenn this week. He had a last-minute emergency and had to drop, but he should be back on next week. This week's guest is Scott Savage, who I all bet you can guess his childhood nickname.
0: Oh, yeah!
1: Scott, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hey, guys. I'm Scott Savage. I've been here at Zscaler as a solutions architect uh, since about August and have about 26 years of network engineering experience. So hopefully bring a little bit of uh, background to this
0: conversation. You're old, bro. Wow, 26 years. Yeah, I started when I was five. Oh, okay. Happy 31st.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So fun fact, Brian tried to get you on the podcast even before you joined us here at Zisco. so I'm glad you were finally able to come on. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our opening topic, Glenn, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, uh, he sent us an interesting video to our group chat last week that shows a bone stock Tesla Model S Plaid racing against Ken Block's 1,400 horsepower all-wheel drive Mustang. For those of you who don't know Ken Block, he is a professional rally driver and the co-founder of DC Shoes. A link to the video will be in the show notes, but this video is yet another example of how Tesla continues to amaze me. We talked on a past episode about driving exotic cars, and for your money, you really can't beat the Model S Plaid. So spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the full video yet, pause the podcast and come back after you watch it if you don't want to hear the result of the race. The race starts about at about the 10 minute 30 second mark. Now the Mustang wins the quarter mile mile by about three car lengths, and you know under ideal conditions the Model S Plaid could do the quarter mile in around nine seconds, which is really really fast. And I was telling the guys, even though the Model S Plaid lost in the quarter mile race, the Plaid pulls ahead at first because the instant torque from the three electric motors, but the Model S Plat it is a daily driver. It has leather seats, it has a stereo, it was running on road tires. You know, I could comfortably drive it from San Francisco to Los Angeles, and the Mustang was built for one explicit purpose, and that's to drive in a straight quarter mile line very, very fast. It's allowed, it's got one bucket seat, it's not even street legal. So, you know, the plat isn't by no means cheap at around 140,000 here in the US, but you get a lot of bang for your buck. What did what do you guys think about the video?
0: As you can see, that fourteen-year-old girl showed us that there is no replacement for displacement. Yeah, he may be- beat her off the, the the line for like maybe ten feet, but she dropped the gear and disappeared.
2: That was fantastic. I, I like the the touch they added with the thug uh, sunglasses on her at the beginning.
0: She she, <laughs> yeah. she
2: predicted she would take the lead and and win it, and then and then when he jumped the line early, the she, she made the comment about him jumping the line early, so she was. She was definitely competitive.
1: Yeah, so in the video it's Ken Block's 14-year-old daughter that actually drives the Mustang and then she she actually beat the beat the Tesla. So that was that was very impressive on its own.
0: I would have to say this is like probably the first time outside of a Bugatti beating it and I don't think I think the the plaid beat the Bugatti in the quarter mile, but it was the top end speed where I think the Bugatti got it because I think the the Model S Plaid tops out like 180 or something like that. And the Bugatti was like like over two hundred, and that's the only reason I'd be, over yeah. yeah. But I mean that 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 Mustang was rad. I'm not gonna lie. But you're right; it is not a daily driver. Uh, I mean, or it could be if you're only driving it, to the grocery store and trying to, you know, but die. I think the
2: comment the comment that they made was, "You could fall asleep in that thing over there. <laughs>
0: this one, yeah. this
2: one will make your eyes bleed. That one will make you fall asleep."
0: But just insanely quick; it's impressive. But yeah, that that's a. There's no AC. There's, I mean, literally, it's a bullet.
1: Yeah, and I, I like the, I guess, the new sell of videos too, because you know the old sell of videos, it was just literally a quarter mile race on the drag strip, and now with drones and production quality, especially Ken Block, he makes amazing videos, but production quality was amazing.
0: Didn't they do a couple other races too, where they gave the the Model S like a couple car links head start, and it was a little bit closer.
1: Yeah, they yeah, they. It did. Yeah. So if it give it, was it a car length and a half or something head start? And then,
2: yeah, the, then it was,
1: then it was a fair race or it was, I think it was even.
2: I, I thought it was pretty funny. And they're like, yeah, you've been here once before. And they kind of showed a clip of the race against the McLaren S and, and uh, I guess they beat the McLaren before. But then they're like asking him, so what kind of updates did you do to the car? And he's like, well, I tinted the windows and I fixed a ding on the bumper. And then they look inside, and they're like, there's <laughs> stuffed animals in a coffee cup. He's like, yeah, I had to remove the the kid's car seats for for some weight balance. You know, it was really
1: funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a good video. I, and yeah, the Model S plot, you just can't beat it. But I think the wait I, list right now is like minimum six months.
2: I like the steering wheel. It reminds me of Knight Rider from the 80s. I think that's,
1: yeah, that's probably the most... Radical change or the most controversial change would be the yoke steering wheel instead of a circle. It's just two grips you hold on the side, which I think is supposed to mimic an airplane yoke. I think that's why they did it.
0: I mean, the car kit. Now that I think about it.
1: Do you have do you have the black one, and you can get the LED light strip in the front?
0: That's a great idea. A black car in Arizona doesn't work for me though. A white car in Arizona barely works. <laughs> Macho Man's choking in the background.
2: <coughs> Sorry, I got something in my throat.
0: <laughs> it must be that sweet tea.
2: <coughs> That's what it is.
1: I think there are videos of people that... Because, Brian, your Tesla has the external speaker now. So I think by law, after a certain year, all electric cars have to have a speaker that play noise. So people that are... like, I think icing dogs can, can hear them coming. I've seen people actually change it so it plays the Knight Rider theme as you drive around. Have you done that yet, Brian? Yeah, I've
0: totally messed with that. Uh, we, we have a whole bunch of different random audio stuff. Maybe I'll have to share it out with you on Google Drive.
1: You know what you should do? You should take all the NFTs that you have minted on this podcast and just cycle through them on your Tesla.
0: Well, you don't ever share them with me, so how would I do that?
1: Well, you got to you gotta buy them. That's the whole point
0: of an NFT. <laughs> well, I'm not buying something that mine. You jerk. <laughs> have, you guys, have you guys heard that one? Is like, I can't remember where, maybe they're in the Bronx. He's like, what do you want to tell Joe Byron? He's like, what's up, baby? Take me out to eat. That's one of the ones that we use for in the car self-parking. Nice.
1: All right. For our first topic, we have a tale as old as time with a new twist MetaMask is a popular cryptocurrency wallet used to store crypto coins and NFTs. Speaking of NFTs, they offer an iOS application and as a feature, you you can back up your 12 word recovery seed phrase. The 12 word seed phrase is used to generate the private keys of a wallet. And if you have those 12 words, it gives you full control of everything in the wallet. Well, in a coordinated attack, a MetaMask user was sent several spoofed text messages that their iCloud account was locked. The user then received an incoming telephone call from Apple Inc. through a spoofed phone number, so it actually shows up as the official Apple support uh, when you look at it on the iPhone. The person posing as an Apple support technician asked for the six-digit multi-factor authentication code generated at the time of login. I think you can see where this is going. The victim handed over the six-digit code, and the attackers were able to log into their iCloud account, retrieve the 12-word seed phrase backup, and in this case, the victim lost $655,000 worth of cryptocurrency and tokens.
0: Holy crap, that is a lot of money to just have sitting around in crypto. I mean, that wasn't you, was it?
1: It was not me. I would never allow that much money to sit in a hot wallet.
0: Oh, so what's in your cold wallet then?
1: Not much since the i r s is probably listening to this
0: <laughs> was it you, Mr. Scott Savage? Absolutely not. I
2: wouldn't keep a thousand dollars in there, let alone six hundred and fifty five
0: that's a lot of scratch man i mean the, the sheer fact that you can have isn't the whole purpose of like the 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 twelve word recovery thing is that you don't have it anywhere but like you fireproof locker in your house or at the bank That's the
1: idea, but with some of these types of wallets, there's there's a balance because if you lose that those 12 words, then no one can help you. There's just no way to recover it. Your, your money's lost. So MetaMask gives you the option to back it up, but backing it up carries this danger with it. So you, you either can back it up and be slightly le- less secure or you can keep it in your fireproof safe in the bank and be super secure. But if something happens to it, you're totally hosed.
0: I just don't understand how somebody with six hundred fifty-five thousand dollars in crypto is dumb enough to fall for this. Like I've, like I had a, a side iPhone that I was just like doing something weird with, right? And just to trying to get that thing signed into my account was like an act of God, right? And like multi-factor authentication, I have to prove this device. I can see it. Like I, I don't understand that.
2: I, I I have trouble buying movies on Apple TV. Like with all, I mean, I I have my accounts locked down so that you can't just purchase from anywhere, but the process that they make you go through, it's so non-intuitive and Hey, I need this password. Hey, is this really you? Right. It's like double check here and check your Apple app and do all these things. And and it drives me nuts because there's so many different checks and balances that complicate the process. Um, So yeah, tough to buy a movie, let alone get into a crypto wallet.
1: Yeah, I've gotten stuck in like infinite loops where it says go to this computer get it, get the code and then I plug in the code and then it, it says then it like regenerates another because so it goes go to your iPhone and get this code and then I go to my iPhone and get the code and then then my iPhone asks me for a code and then I have to go back to the Mac and get the I've gotten stuck in this endless loop and searching on Apple's forums I'm I'm not alone in this so yeah like like you said I'm I'm surprised this worked the first time
0: I think the dude was lying I think he had 655 Shib Inu. Token st- Shiba Inu Shiba coins. coins, which is $15. <laughs> this makes way more sense. <laughs> Think about it, right? Right. Mm-hmm. By the way, speaking of NFTs, there's like Nike shoes, like NFTs. like They're selling for like seven dollars or $8,000 right now. You can't even wear them. Yeah. Is this is a picture, 3D picture. Well, <laughs> you
1: can't wear them on your physical feet, but you can wear them on your virtual feet in the metaverse. I'll tell
0: you what, if I ever you have a pair of $8,000 virtual Nike shoes, I'm gonna walk around and kick some
2: There you go. go. Leave my
0: footprint on your forehead. How about that?
1: (laughs) Little swoosh. This is gonna be so weird once we all enter the metaverse and yeah, we're wearing seven thousand dollar Nike shoes and you'll have your bored ape hanging up in your,
0: your living room. Dude like we're, like I kind of experienced that the other day. I went to like my like customer facing meeting and everyone's like kinda like dressed, you know, nice. They got blazers on, you know, white shirts, button down, tucked in, you know, like penny loafers, and then in comes this dude, he's got like like I don't even know, like crop top jeans on, like some radical looking shoes, and then like a skin shirt and a and a hat on his head backwards with the word weed on the side. And I'm like, how are we in the same meeting, man? I don't understand what the heck is going on. And then on top of that, we are vibing the whole time. Like he was just getting, like anything I was saying, he's like, I get it, bro. I get it. I'm like, I don't know if I want you to get it, but I appreciate it. I need I need, I need the guy with the money to get it. But yeah, he was, I have no idea. Like you have to like, know your audience. I'm like, this guy has to be like a Bitcoin billionaire. I don't know what's going on right now. The world has failed me. And you find out it's
2: the chief technology officer or something like that. It could
0: have been. Like, it literally, it was just like, I don't even know how to handle that conversation. I need to actually reach out to my champion to figure out who who was I talking to that day.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he found out he's the guy with the money. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's great. He was vibing. So he, he's getting it.
1: Yeah. I was trying to think. There, there was, I mean, that's like the stereotype that you go into a corporate office and everyone is, Really professional, and then in comes the IT guy. I guess that was, that was sort of like Boris from GoldenEye, to throw it back to another episode, that he was kind of like the Hawaiian shirt guy, the goofy guy, and always told inappropriate jokes that everyone put up with him because he was good at his job. All right, for our second topic, we're getting more automotive topics, which I guess is natural as cars are becoming basically computers on wheels, On episode 48, we talked about the harebrained Y-22K bug that Honda introduced to their navigation systems. Well, this time it's Mazda's turn to be in a story titled, Radio Killed the Infotainment Star from Ars Technica. A lack of input validation by Mazda's radios bricked hundreds of Mazda infotainment systems, That is, there's no recovery possible, the unit has to be physically replaced. At first, Mazda was charging up to $1,500 to replace them, but are now replacing them free of charge if if you can even find one. The global chip shortage has made replacement infotainment systems very scarce. The problem happened when a radio station KUOW in Seattle broadcasted an image on an HD channel that lacked a file extension. Mazda, in their infinite wisdom, did not use a header to tell what the file is and relies only on that file extension. So if there's no file extension, the system gets corrupted. Nice going, Mazda. When the infotainment system tries to decode the image, it crashes the system and reboots. And what's the first thing the infotainment system does after a reboot? It tries to decode the image again, and you're stuck in this endless loop. Since the units cannot boot up and there is no recovery mode, there's no way to flash a good firmware back onto it. Are you kidding me?
0: Wow, that has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They can't. There's no way to fix this problem at all.
1: Not in the field. the The whole thing has to physically be replaced. They like have to rip out your center console and give you a new one. I mean,
0: I guess that's what you get for buying a Mazda. So, or do you have yeah, like Mazda? it's Mazdas? crazy. Did you guys hear not about the fan? I think it was yesterday. There was like a, I don't know, you said the radios. So now you got me thinking on other stuff. There was like a, a sunburst or something that happened and it took out all radio in, in the world. For like a, Man, minute, or a couple of minutes or that. something like that or a couple of seconds. I don't even know. Yeah, look it up.
1: I've heard like solar flares. I've heard cosmic rays. Solar flare, That's so,
0: what it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, if either of you have any any kind of Cisco background, there's a a story. I don't know if it's an urban legend or if it's, it's true, but there was a Cisco. I think it was a router or a switch, and it it failed. It 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 sent this packet direction X when it was supposed to send in direction Y, and this customer couldn't figure out what happened, so they opened the support with Cisco. Cisco physically got the box, they tore it apart, they could not figure out why this Cisco router had. Uh, behave that way, and then they said, you know, in their final conclusion, they said it was it was cosmic rays at this the point where this router failed. There was a solar flare, or some cosmic rays, the radiation interfered with the router's ability to work, and it sent the packet in the wrong direction. But that that was their literal final root cause analysis
0: was cosmic radiation. That's me, my root cause analysis for everything now on. There you go. I mean, I guess it's okay. kind of hard to disprove. Yeah, I would say, how
2: do you disprove that?
0: It's like prove me wrong. Go. Uh, you know, speaking of Cisco, I, I don't see it as an, an item that we're talking about. They, didn't they just have a SSH boo boo with umbrella on prem VM with the SSH key being really you not hard coded yes, static? Yeah. You know what's funny about that? I was reading uh, the exact same thing happened to F five back you know, like in like version ten. Do you guys remember that? I don't remember, I don't remember that,
1: but hard-coded SSH keys are more common than you
0: think. Yeah, it was it was wild because we had like, I don't know, like 78 devices when I was on the customer side and it's like, there's no way. And then sure enough, it was static and it just like, you just log into whatever you want. And uh, yeah, that was a boo-boo, but you know, kudos to the developers or I should say that the researchers that are out there just looking for these things. Like I, I never would have thought like, I'm going to spin up a VM, look at the, uh, you know, the SSH fingerprint. And then log that, and then spin up another one. It's just just to see if it's the same. Like it's so insane that that would even happen.
1: I think it usually happens when you dump the firmware. So you have to dump the firmware, reverse engineer it, and then I think that's where the researchers see that there's a static key instead of something that's you know best practices. It's it's dynamically generated at at, at time of boot. And that every device should
0: have a different one, but they can see and see that it's actually hard coded. Uh, so you think they were hard coding it? They weren't actually looking at the uh, SSH known key host file?
1: It, it's possible. They they prob- might have went into the, the code. Uh, I think there's a virtual appliance, so this wasn't actually a, a piece of hardware. But that's typically how they do is they dump the firmware and then they analyze it. Stupid solar this, flares. This sounds,
2: like the, this sounds like the guys that try to break into uh, the AT&T gateways so that they don't have to use their, their uh, piece of junk router that they provide. They go and they reverse reverse engineer the firmware, grab the certificate out of it for the 802.1x handshake.
0: I don't know the story. They explain more. So at and locks you
2: in to use their gateway that they provide, and what they're doing on their fiber network is um, authenticating the device based on a certificate. So when you log on, you don't just get network access until the device itself is is um, authenticated with its certificate. Well, customers that don't like their garbage router and want to use like PFSense or something like that, they will go and dump the certificate off the device. You can actually pull the firmware and get that certificate, um, extracted. You can take that certificate, you can drop it on like a ubiquity router or a f- uh, firewall, and you can actually proxy the a to an X conversation and use that certificate as your authentication mechanism for your non
0: AT&T device. Oh, that's beautiful. So it's like for like home internet then? Yeah. And this is what you're doing?
2: Um, <laughs> I haven't got it working. Uh, I haven't got it working with the latest firmware. The new the new OS on Ubiquity uh, doesn't have the scripting capability, uh, but there's a Python script out there that you can actually leverage to um, perform that, essentially proxy that Ada to a next conversation.
1: Oh, that's crazy. Uh, it's, it's also... Shows you the links that people have to go to to get out of this dumb lock, vendor lock, basically. That there, some companies you know force you to rent their modem, and some people force you to use their their garbage gateways. There's definitely should be a lot more freedom. If I want to use PF Sense, if I want to use Ubiquiti, I should be allowed to. I shouldn't
2: be locked into this particular vendor's hardware. Yeah, their idea is put your hardware behind my hardware, and then we'll just pass you. Uh, a Mac address or an, we can pop the IP on and make it appear like your equipment's at the edge when it really isn't. And then they're governed, right? They, they limit their memory so that you can only have so many flows, so many transactions going on simultaneously.
0: So speaking of trash, like what, what is like the, the worst router to have at home? Is it like Linksys or like a Netgear D-Link? It's
2: the old, the old South Park Linksys router, the BFG, BFR, whatever you call it. Right? Yeah.
0: What do you think,
1: Chris? I would say, I would say, D-Link is is pretty bad, uh, just in terms of vulnerabilities. I know D-Link has has a lot. I know that they don't support their hardware very often. So even when vulnerabilities are found in D-Link, they they only support it for maybe two years, which I don't think is very long. Uh, MicroTik, I know, has a lot of vulnerabilities as well. I I don't know if it's necessarily MicroTik's fault. You know, to their credit, they are they're pretty good at patching it. So in terms of, of support, I would probably say
0: D-link. Is it just the price point? Is this dirt cheap and they figure it's disposable anyway?
1: Probably, yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, I think a lot something a lot of people forget is home wireless equipment, it is a consumable device. It's it's disposable. These things last maybe you'll be lucky if you get three years out of a good wireless rod just because the heat it generates is gonna slow down, it's gonna degrade. Um, I try to replace my equipment. Probably about once every three years or so, just to keep the speeds up and reliable. But yeah, that three years out of a good wireless router is is probably good, and then and then it's time to move on to something else. So what what's the best then for our listeners? On the home side, so on the consumer side, like any like like Ruckus or Aruba, you know, if you can get your hands on that, those those are pretty good. But on for most people, I would say. Ubiquity. I actually got a Google Mesh system for for the new house, and I've actually been pretty happy with with that. That's plug and play, pretty friendly. It doesn't have as many features as the Ubiquity, but in terms of if all I have to do is stream, go to work, and browse Facebook, can't go wrong with like a, a Google
0: Home Mesh system. Is that thing phoning home all the time? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's owned by Google, so yeah. All right. I'm a Ubiquity fan as well. What about you, Savage? What do you think? <laughs>
2: I've definitely become a Ubiquiti fan over the past year. Um, I was running – I used to run a lot of Cisco gear that I had that was older hardware, and I, I upgraded to some Meraki equipment and just too many issues with Meraki. There was a lot of support challenges and problems that I had. So moving to Ubiquiti has really uh, made things a lot more supportable, and, and I, I consider them – I don't have to support them, so they're much more friendly to me. So there's nothing really I have to do. It's pretty much set itself up uh,
0: pretty easily. So My only complaint is I wish I could just say, for Ubiquity auto upgrade to one version back. Just, I don't ever want to think about it. Just automatically do it. But I'm having to log in probably two or three times a year to check. But I can also yes. do it from my phone, which is pretty cool. So maybe Yeah, my they have a good easier. app. I like, I like their app. You have Definitely. the cloud key, Brian? I do not want to tell you. <laughs> Someone's going to attack your cloud key. <laughs> <laughs> all right, on that. that Second note,
2: say is that security through obscurity, Brian?
0: Uh, I'm just saying, I'm rocking the D-Link baby. <laughs> <laughs> Use
1: all the D-Link exploits, and now I have your home IP address, so I'll I'll be sure to scan that. Good luck with that. All right, for our our third story, we haven't interesting intersection of geopolitics and, and InfoSec. DJI, the popular maker of drones, I don't know if many people know this, but it's a Chinese company. Not just made in China, they're, they're actually a Chinese-owned company. They are Their drones are loaded with software which does things like geofences and blocks a lot of mainland China where the Chinese government doesn't want these drones. So places like Tiananmen Square, places around Beijing, they can tell DJI don't allow your drones to fly in this area. While the ongoing war in Ukraine is necessitating the use of civilian equipment such as these DJI drones to do things like look for survivors in the aftermath of an airstrike or locate Russian troop movements, basically civilian tech being used on the battlefield. While reports are coming in that these DJI drones are behaving oddly in Ukraine right now, China has not outright come out in support of Russia's war in Ukraine, but they have been acting like a silent partner. And for what it's worth, DJI denies the allegations that it is assisting Russia's assault of Ukraine. Ukrainian government officials complain about the failure of a number of DJI's aeroscopes, which are drone detection systems to identify and track other drones. These aeroscopes are used to protect things like critical infrastructure. You just don't want these random drones flying around your nuclear power plants. Ukrainian government officials and DJI said that several of these systems would not switch on at the start of the war. And that led some Ukrainians to allege that DJI, spurred by geopolitical motivations, tampered with the systems to allow Russian drones to fly undetected. Now the Russians have successfully used the aeroscope systems, Ukrainian officials say, to target these Ukrainian drones and their pilots. So let's file this under
0: Things that make you go, hmm. I was literally going to say that exact same thing. Things that make you say, hmm. Which was like, uh, wasn't that like CNC Music Factory? I think they had a song about that. (laughs) No. But no, like this is, yeah. This is very suspicious type of uh, activity. And, you know, as a DJI, uh, you know, user, that thing, like anytime you turn it on, there's always a firmware update. Right. And so it's always coming through. So I can see how they could be doing some nefarious things. makes me not want to use it anymore.
1: Have you checked to see if your DJI is beaconing out to China?
0: I have not. However, all traffic does go through. I guess I could check real quick while you guys chat. Because I block any top-level domains going out to China right now.
2: Is this uh, based on your experience with those cameras that you got at Home Depot?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Those famous cameras. Yeah. The Russian (laughs) lesson learned on (laughs) that one. (laughs) There's a reason why
2: it was on clearance.
0: Yeah, so it looks like the only thing in the last six months that's reached out to China was an old Echo Dot, Amazon.cn for some reason.
1: Let me guess it was it was Glenn when he came to visit you.
0: (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) Freaking Glenn.
1: Ukraine not trusting DJI has actually created a sub-economy of uh, American-made drones. So there are a number of U.S.-based startups that are trying to get into the drone space, and Ukraine says, "Well, we trust the Americans a lot more than we trust the Chinese." So now all these American companies are building all these drones and sending them out to Ukraine.
0: Well, I know now I can't support uh, Russia or China, so now I have to I have to hack my drone, right? I can run custom firmware on there and do my own thing then. I think you're the one that told me about it, right, Chris?
1: Yes. So DJI, I I forgot what happened. They sued or they tried to, and maybe that's why you have so many frequent firmware updates, is you can put a custom firmware on there and it'll remove the geofences because in addition to not being able to fly in sensitive areas in China, uh, I think they disabled the picture-taking capability in, in certain areas of China as well where they don't want surveillance. So you could flash it with this, Alternative firmware that would just remove all those restrictions. A little, uh, it was uh, it was correction.
2: Arsenio, Brian. It was Arsenio Hall that that had the things uh, that make could go, "Hmm." Yeah, the old
0: dog pound. Remember that? Jeez, is Arsenio Hall the guy woo. Yeah, the dog pound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yep. Yeah. <And> shake the... <laughs> That's like that. That's funny.
2: You always put the finger to the temple, right? Like, mm.
0: yeah. yeah, you definitely like. There was a song. But that's, you're thinking exactly what I was thinking. It was Arsenio Hall. That's what I came from. Good job. You're allowed to come back on the podcast. <laughs> <Manhattan>. <laughs> I got 80s pop references down. Hmm.
1: So what do you, what do you think? If, if if it does come out that China and DJI are helping Russia by tampering with these drones, what do you think the response would be?
2: From the market or from a country? Like what what type of response do you mean?
1: Probably like yeah, like a country. How well, should the well,
2: world react?
1: Yeah, that's Ukraine like... has already stopped buying anything DJI, so they've responded well, with their wallets.
2: Should be kind of like uh, how we've treated Kaspersky, I guess, right?
1: Just put them on the the sanction list, the the, the no, no not friendly list, the no fly yeah. list.
2: Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they've been PNGed persona non grata.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean. If you're doing that, I guess you're dead to me. Anybody want to buy a drone?
1: <laughs> so you don't want to support them, but you don't want to lose out on money either.
0: Yeah, exactly. I like looking at them. I got three battery packs, things ready to fly. I do like my drone, man. Anytime we go hiking or off-roading, it's great to have. By the way, so the other day, I I shouldn't even be saying this, but got I was done at the gym kind of early, and it was like sunset, and they're like right across the street from the gym. This this blank like five acre lot is this it's being underdeveloped and I was like oh you know I think now would be a great time to go do some donuts because like why the hell not right and so I drive over there put the truck in Baja mode and I am just tearing <laughs> left and right like it is insane you have to believe that sorry but <laughs> I just I was so sad that I didn't ca- like because of the sunset and the amount of dust that was being kicked up it was like it was just beautiful it had this orange hue to it. And I was like, yeah, this is rad. Like, I'm just, I'm just going through and it's this mountain of dust. And then all of a sudden, uh, as I'm pulling back onto the main road, I realized that all traffic has come to a dead stop because visibility went to zero. Like, it was so much <laughs> dust. And it, like, like kind of like rush hour time, like it, like nobody was doing it. I, I kind of felt bad, but it was so much fun. I just wish I had the drone at that point in time to capture it because it was beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always good to create video evidence of your crimes to be used at your trial.
0: Is it was it a crime to drive your truck fast on dirt, Christopher?
1: <laughs> he basically made like a smoke screen and and uh didn't allow traffic to pass.
0: Yeah, unintentional. But
2: you yeah. know. it was James Bond Lessons mode. Learned. That was your James Bond mode on the truck.
0: Yeah, but I'm smoke telling you, street. like you have to understand, like this this wall of dust is not like I mean, it must have been fifty feet high and it was dense. Like and it wasn't really close to the road, but by the time like went and kicked in and stuff. It was it was pretty amazing. And then as I was like so that was the main road, and then I was off on a secondary road. And as I was turning, like I just see all these old people like, like rolling their eyes and grumbling at me like what a jerk and like yeah, <laughs> these guys in going. their trucks. <laughs> the only thing I was missing was an American flag and a gun. Like I could have just had even more fun. Yeah, off the to- Another story for another podcast.
1: My, my wife effectively stopped traffic on one of our main freeways here when she was driving home from college one time, but I'll tell that story another time.
0: Was she the one driving the wrong side of the road? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, okay.
1: not dangerous like that. Okay. Uh, all right. For our last topic, and it will be a rotating topic every week, this week we're going to talk about travel etiquette. Now that the world is opening up and we're traveling more, I want to get your guys' take on how you travel and what unofficial rules you follow. For me, my rule is if you're sitting in the middle seat, you get both armrests. So if I'm in the aisle or the window, I yield the armrest to the person in the middle. And if I'm in the middle, I make no apologies. I just take up both armrests. That's sort of the silent contract of getting stuck in the middle seat i never recline my seat unless i know for sure no one is behind me i only fly coach so we're crammed in as tight as sardines as is i don't need to be taking another two to three inches of room away from the person behind me and if i do recline i do so slowly and don't slam my seat backwards i was on a flight to the middle of the us a couple weeks ago and i have my laptop on the trade table I'm, i'm working away and the guy in front of me decides to recline and slam his seat backwards and knocks my screen so not cool, man.
2: It always wedges think- in, right? You get the it's sitting there in the, the top cushion of the seat as yep. they go back, it wedges it, right?
0: Yep, yep. Yeah, I was not happy about that. So I disagree with you on the, the center armrest thing. Like I, I full I wholeheartedly believe that there are no atheists on a Southwest Airlines flight with a seat boarding pass. <laughs> like I everyone there is praying, man. Don't put me in that middle seat because I'm terrified. <laughs> but no. I, like, if you're there, I fully expect for you to, like, huddle up in, like, kind of a praying position and just kind of huddle forward. Let the adults that got you through the window of the aisle sit comfortably. And the other day when I was coming back from Vegas, the dude came in and, like, he knew his role. Like, he sat down right next to me. And he, he, he kind of shimmed it up and got a nice and, and quiet and leaned forward. And he just sat like right there the entire flight. I was like, all right, you know. You know what's up. And by the way, I'm not above this. Like, if I'm sitting, or God forbid I have C, and I have to sit in the middle somewhere. Yeah, uh, I, I will get as small as possible to make sure you are comfortable. But, but Brian,
2: well, you, you are an intimidating person to sit next to. You,
0: you have to admit. <laughs> I am a sweetheart. You guys just don't even know.
1: But like, yeah, well, flying Vegas to Phoenix is like what, an hour. So I'm like, I could curl in up here. in a ball for 47. But think of like a cross
0: country flight or halfway across the country. I'm like, I'm not going to sit in a ball for six hours. Well, see, so like one time, this lady, she sat in the middle, right? And as soon as she sat down, she took the whole armrest. I'm like, wait a second. Like, you're not even giving me part of it? Like, I'm a big dude. And, uh, you know, I was like trying to find a way in, you know, can't get there, can't get there. All of a sudden, drink service, baby. So she comes up, she reaches for her little cup of tea, right? And then boom, (laughs) my arm is locked in. It is not going (laughs) anywhere. I took that entire armrest. (laughs) <laughs> and then, like, if the plane crashed, they were going to find my arm still attached to that armrest. Like, it was not going nowhere. And then homegirl just said, not, not a problem. Just put her big old flabalanche right on top of my arm, right? And it was cold and hot and wet at the same time. <laughs> <I put my laughs> How's that possible? Was, <laughs> it was not possible, but it was possible. So she won that battle. But other times in that, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah, well, she was, like, conducting biological warfare, basically, at that point. Yeah, I've never been so insulted in my entire life. So I had to actually Uh, think about good etiquette. What do you got, Scott? uh,
2: I was the unlucky guy. I came back from Florida on Sunday night, and I was that unlucky guy in the middle seat. And I didn't get either armrest from either side. Good one, man. Was not happy. Was not happy. (laughs) My wife booked the flight, unfortunately. uh, It was one of those kind of last minute. She had a work trip, so we made a two-day weekend out of it in Florida. And she booked the flight maybe ten days before, and so there were no seats, right? So there was nothing left. And I'm like, I am never flying on this airline again. I won't say names, but I, I'm I'm partial to the one that's based here in Dallas, and not the one that's based in Chicago. And and <laughs> of course, the only seats available were the one on the you know, airline from Chicago. And I'm like, I'm never flying them again. She's like, it's not the airline. And I go. I never have this kind of crowd on that other airline. After the flight, we got off and she goes, yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: She kind of figured it out. <laughs> she but, she saw the way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, it wasn't good, but I don't know. But being in that middle seat, I'm telling you, it's, it's torture. It's especially if you have two larger people on either side of you. Uh, definitely. That's, that's not a, a fun position to be stuck in. I hate you, Brian.
0: <laughs> well, do you, do you recruit like I do? So, like I'll be sitting there, like uh like rubbing my eyes or my nose, eating like cheeto dust, licking my fingers and stuff, just trying not to make eye contact with that like giant dude that's coming down the aisle, but if you're petite, right, God forbid, maybe we get a little small person midget, I don't know what we call them anymore we're I, like this, we are making eye contact, I'm like, you, I got a seat right here for you, I will move my bag, <laughs> whatever you need we're we are both gonna be riding in comfort today. And, uh, you know, on that note, like we tend to fly a lot in Southwest, so there is no first class, right? Is this like three seats? It's cattle herding at best. And my wife's like, well, you know, can I have a window? And then you can have a window. I don't care. Like you can't, but someone else is sitting in between us. I'm not taking a middle seat and I'm not taking that. Yeah, nothing. I always take an aisle. How about you guys?
1: Yeah. I, I, if it's more than an hour, I usually, or more than two hours, probably. I, I usually try to take the aisle. It's in and out. You can get you now off off on and off the plane quickly. Be able to go to the bathroom. I uh, prefer aisle if it's a longer flight.
2: Same. I'm I'm an aisle person if it's a longer flight. If I'm with my wife and she's got the window, I'm okay being in the middle because you can lift that armrest and I can lean on her. That's not a problem.
0: <laughs> oh Jesus!
1: Ha- have for- you guys ever done the the power move? Like if you're if you're on a flight and I'm in the aisle and there's this guy in the middle seat and he's passed out or him or her the person in the middle seat's passed out the the flight attendants come by with snacks and like oh would you like a you know just like a cookie or you like some pretzels and like yeah I'll take a pretzels and oh, it's like oh and, and this guy said he wanted a cookie and then gives them the cookie and then and then I just take it. Have you guys done that?
2: Absolutely
0: <laughs> guilty. Am I gonna go to jail now? Oh
1: <laughs> well, they just let you to get two snacks. We would not have to do that.
0: What about like uh, going through the, uh, the old TSA pat down. You guys have any recommendations there? Any travel etiquette? It's
2: it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta follow George Clooney's advice, right? From, uh, um, what was it? Up in the air? That, that movie where he was like, efficiency. It's like you, you find the, the uh, people that travel light and you stand behind them. Right. And it's like, don't wear a belt. So you don't have to take the belt off. Obviously pre-check it's a little bit easier, right? You can manage that a little bit better. I've had two times now in the last month where I've flown and TSA Precheck has paid for itself. Cut the line, get behind somebody who's efficient and travels a lot, and boom, 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 and you're through.
1: That's
0: a good travel yeah. hack. I
1: same. Yeah, I can't imagine not having pre-check anymore, it's just like taking out your shoes, taking your laptop. Like I flew back from Texas a few weeks ago, and I, I guess the pre check line closes. I didn't know this is a thing, but yeah, the pre-check line closes. Like you don't have to take off your shoes you still have to go through with everybody else it wasn't that crowded but you still have to take out your laptops you have to take out your laptop your ipad and anything else and this happened to me twice that i travel with my amazon kindle e-reader and when they say take out your tablet i think of ipad but nope you got to take out your kindle too and so i had to go through again because i didn't take out my kindle because that qualified as a tablet that you have to take
0: out so yeah i i can't imagine living without pre check so I made it from Phoenix to Las Vegas, no problem. On the way back, they found my ten inch hunting knife in there. I am like, I'm like I am like, how on earth did I make it this far? And so I was so sad to lose that. Uh, but the other, like, I am just hoping one day TSA is like is compromised somehow, and like every body image photo they've ever taken leaks because you'll be able to find mine. And guess how? Your yeah, ten inch hunting knife on it no no knife you know how you on that machine you have to put your hands above your head yeah yeah like that well mine's always like this i mean every single time for the last flipping the double bird yeah flipping the double bird so if it ever gets out there now you know that was me that was brian that's classic yeah i
1: I do not miss going through that too I, i prefer much prefer the metal detector than the the body skin
2: as so has TSA ever caught anyone actually like I was just asking that the other night when we were standing in line like have they ever shown any value other than we took a pocket knife or some toenail clippers or something like that
1: yeah this is a pretty controversial topic but from what I know and what I've read is they're they're not very good at their job, and, and and that's a fact, actually. They've done security tests, and they miss, like, 98% of... of they fail 98% of the, the tests that they do, so that that's a fact. And then when you go on, like, the TSA Instagram account, like, oh, yeah, look at all these dangerous weapons we caught. And it it's like a Klingon bat lift. This thing is, is like, three feet long. I'm like, yeah, of course somebody is not going to take over a plane with this Klingon bat lift. They just forgot to check it in. It it's It's stuff like that. So, I mean... I think it's security theater. Um, I have my own opinion. You can form your own opinion, but I don't think they're as effective as people think they are.
2: It's funny because I used to fly when I worked um, for a bank out east. I used to fly probably every two or three weeks. And I had flown with the same bag and the same stuff, like, you know, never repack. It's always in there for months. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm, um, I was flying out of Richmond And, um, I go through the TSA line and I'm telling you, they found, I had like a pen knife and I forgot it was in there, but it was buried in my bag and they found it. I'm like, you do realize I've flown like 20 flights in the last year with this in this bag and no one's ever caught it. Right. It was crazy.
1: It's like, oh, so we have a a repeat offender,
0: Mr. Savage.
2: Over and over, redundantly a lot.
0: I'm still missing my knife. Do you do you miss that pen knife now?
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's a bummer. I'll buy you a new one. No, I won't. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Scott is up.
2: Oh, boy, here we go. You guys ready for this one?
0: Go for it. Knock my socks off.
2: Do you guys know what the difference between black-eyed peas and chickpeas is?
0: Something about yeah. Fergie's got to be in there.
2: Black-eyed peas can sing us a song, but chickpeas can only hum us one.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, because chickpeas make hummus.
2: Yep. Oh my gosh,
0: hummus! It's Humus. always bad when you, you have to explain the joke. I'm just kidding. I actually did not know that. Which means, (laughs) so my my wife will take like uh, chickpeas, like de-skin them or whatever, and then like mix in, I forget something, and then like honey, and then it's like a dessert. But it's just, it's freaking hummus. It's a sweet hummus at the end of the day. I didn't know that. Yeah. The more you know.
2: I love hummus.
0: All right. To wrap things
1: up, there is a replacement for displacement. Fishing is alive and well, and never give out your second factor code. Mazda infotainment systems got bricked because of a bad image file. China may be sabotaging DJI drones in Ukraine. And be nice to people on airplanes. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pebcac Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rate us five stars in the iTunes Store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the, sh- the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pebcac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and our guest Macho Man Scott Scav- Savage, I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always,
0: have a nice day. Remember, just like my grandma used to say, you see them blues and twos drop a gear and disappear. Ha, ha, ha.